They're slugging it out in the middle of the ring. A right to the jaw. My block is knocked off. But you can press it back on again. Press this lever. He throws a right. The other, a left. Knock his block off, and you're the winner. I want a rematch. This Christmas, it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots by Marks. So what actually is a pivot? Now, it's become a popular way to say that we are changing directions or changing our strategy or focus, but it's interesting to note how that really isn't a pivot. Now, if you look up that word in the dictionary, a pivot either means the central point on which a mechanism turns, like a fulcrum or an axis. This is also commonly known as the pivot point. But much more relevant to the business discussion these days is that second definition, which is the one that describes it as a movement or turn around the central point or axis. As in basketball, where the player plants one foot and then pivots in any direction while keeping that one foot centered on the floor. Or a sailboat that pivots around the axis of a mast. It's a rotation, a swivel, a spin. The key in all of that is the central point, the center of gravity that defines the differentiating value of who we are and what we actually do or why we do it. Some of the most famous pivots in business have this in common. In 1971, Starbucks was a seller of espresso beans and coffee equipment to coffee shops. Well, they pivoted when Howard Schultz bought the company and opened their first retail outlet. Twitter famously pivoted out of being a podcasting technology, but pivoted on the talented team of Jack Dorsey and Biz Stone with their idea of a microblogging platform. Fred Wilson, the famous venture capitalist, has said that approximately 65% of the companies he works with these days pivot at some point. But the key is that the pivot centers on that something, a different direction for the same audience, a new direction for the same product, or a new product from the same team. Abandoning a business model, a strategy, or a team and making some wholesale change without understanding where the centralizing value is isn't a pivot. It's just going a different direction. And certainly that can be a good idea too, moving in a different direction. But we need to make sure that we're making this decision consciously. If we're pivoting, what's our central footing? And should we actually pick it up and move directions altogether? Or, if we're moving in a completely new direction, is there anything worth keeping? Or are we just justifying keeping something because that's the way we've always done it? And that's the theme of our show today. Pivoting, changing direction, and making the conscious choice to do one of those things. You've got to know when, where, why, and who and how to do the thing you can change. As the famous basketball coach John Wooden once said, the more concerned we become over the things we can't control, the less we will do with the things we can control. So now it's time for us to move control and time for our tip-off. You ready to pivot? Then let's plant a foot, grab the ball, and let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys.
Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 165 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, January 9th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the LeBron James of pivoting into content marketing, <laughs> Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? And LeBron James knows how to pivot better I, than ab- most. Yes, absolutely. You know, we were yes. we were watching the, the Cavs game last night. Uh, they beat the Suns by four or something like that. When there is a f- when anything goes against him, he he always complains. He always does. I love him. I'm not saying anything against the man. I love him, but he's a complainer. There's an he's issue. a big baby, is what. He's a <laughs> oh, no, baby. you had to go there. You had to. <laughs> well, look, you have a you have a team that's performing very well, and he's the the Cavs will do very well this year. So suck it up, because you know you have basically you have the Tom Brady of basketball playing for your team. Is what well, you've got well, there. We will, an we amazing will player, an amazing. Once in a lifetime player, and he's a big baby. <laughs> uh, you know it. It does pay though, because what happens yes, is when he complains about it, he'll get the next call. Oh, I know. They don't same, like so, same with him. Brady. It, you, it you go in. Same and with you, Curry. Yeah, Brady, yeah, Curry, all of them. You, they do that. You put a finger on him, and then Brady will get up and go, "Way, I'm tired." Give me my call. And then the referee, the next play, will give him a pass interference or a roughing the quarterback or whatever it is. It better not be the Patriots against the Cowboys because that. Well, you know, there was an article that I just read that came out that talked about that and actually said it would be the greatest of all Super Bowls because there is no one in the middle, right? You either hate the Cowboys or you hate the Patriots. And one way or so, there would be no, meh, I don't care. It would be, it would, it's going to be. Everybody's picking a side in this, so you it's going to be we'll a good see. one. We'll I see. hope, yeah, I we'll hope see. so. Yeah, you're you're playing we'll Green see. Bay, right? Green we Bay, play Green Bay this coming week, and they're, uh, yes, they're you know where I'll be well. Sunday afternoon. That's exactly right. Yeah, well, uh, we definitely won't be scheduling any podcast around that particular, <laughs> right. particular time. Well, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get rolling uh, as we speak. Yeah. You know this because I we were just about ready to record, and then uh, we found out that a pipe just broke in my house. So we're gonna we're <laughs> we've got the plumbers on the way. The show before Joe's house gets flooded. The right? show so must go must on. Go like, on, don't yeah. ever say that I'm not committed to to this podcast because <laughs> I'm like I'm. There's water gushing in as we speak, and I'm still oh, nice as long as I don't get le- electrocuted. We're going to make this baby work. So I love it. Let's I do it, man. It. All right. Let's roll along then, shall we? So let's start with our top story for the show, which comes to us ironically, courtesy of Medium.com um, in a weird way, because the title of the post is Renewing Medium's Focus. Um, the post starts out by saying, I'll start with the hard part. As of today, we are reducing, this is medium speaking, our team by about one-third, eliminating 50 jobs, mostly in sales, because that's, of course, immediately where you want to start cutting. Anyway, I digress. Support and other business functions. We're also changing our business model to more directly drive the mission we set out on originally. Obviously, this is a tough thing to do, says the Post, made tougher by the immense respect and love we have for these people who have helped make medium what it is today. We've reached this 
decision when Medium's management team came together to review the last year and take a hard look at our business, where we are and where we're headed. While we could continue on our current path, and there is a business case for doing so, we decided that we risk failing on our larger original mission if we don't make some proactive changes while we have the momentum and resources to do so. So this blog post goes on to then explain how they... Advertising business is hard. Um, talk about your Tom Brady's here. Um, but basically saying that advertising is difficult, so we're pivoting or changing our model here and going back to basics. What did you make of this? It's actually a really interesting article because it basically their mission is to help great stories rise to the top, help great content uh, be unearthed, <laughs> if you will, and yes. Medium's going to be doing that. But yes. you – and it, the par- interesting part is was when Ev's talking about Ev. Uh, it's Ev Williams, right? Ev yes, is, that's right. Ev yeah, is the founder. Ev. That's correct of uh, of Medium, and he's talking about advertising and their maybe flawed execution of an advertise. They were trying to create better advertising, is what they were really trying to do. That's right. And what he found out was, and what we is is that you he can't they can't get to their mission of helping these great stories rise to the top and be publisher friendly and try to drive revenues for publishers on creating a a tweak of a better model of advertising. This is not going to work. And I think he realizes that um, I think he knew it all along, but I think they were trying to say, Hey, how do we make money off of this thing? Well, let's do advertising. Every other publisher does it. And I, I think the the models right in front of them, we've talked about it. What on, it was probably four or five episodes ago where we said the biggest competition for WordPress out there is Medium. And Medium just has to make the the to take set set the goal and execute on that mission. And I think their business model is right in front of them. I don't know if they're gonna go that direction, but I think their model is a paid versus free subscription model. I mean, I think that's I mean, do you not agree with that? That it's like sitting right in front of them if they just want it? And just have, they've just been they've been looking at oh maybe it's advertising maybe it's subscription we don't know and just say here it is you either you're either in or you're not and, and if you're paid and you're publishing on this platform here here's what you get yeah well look I mean so I have a hard time squaring those two things right so when I look at you know I mean it's a nice thing to say is what is 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 when he says something like. Well, our goal is to make storytelling and have stories surface and have content perform and, and, and do all these wonderful things and then talk about the flawed nature of the advertising, you know, the, the yeah. broken model of the advertising model to say, well, but it doesn't really content, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the challenge of that, of course, is that content in and of itself isn't that's not the goal of content. Content is is something different. It is meant to itself deliver value and, of course, ultimately bring about a, an influence of behavior. The ad platform, if you are an ad platform, the whole idea is to put as many eyeballs on whatever content is is there. I mean, look, I'll go off on a bit of a rant later on in the show about this, but this is where we are with content these days, right? So basically anybody that's launching a blog or a fake news site or a social media channel, the whole point is to put as many eyeballs on the top of that content as despite how much value the content may have. It's the whole point we have clickbait and linkbait is basically not to deliver any more value. It's to put more eyeballs on the page, thus putting more impressions on the ad, thus raising the value of that piece of content. 
that's the point of an ad is for a publisher is that it puts more eyeballs on the page and thus drives revenue for the business. And so those two things, you know, you look at those things and you go, okay, great. But to your point, those things don't scale in a way that make what they're trying to do clearly successful. And and so the whole what I think they're coming to the realization, you know, we talked about on this show when they got into the custom publishing business where they were going to become, you know, more like a WordPress.com with the concierge service. And basically yeah. you can build your own publishing platform. And it's basically but that's a software company. That's not a media company. And then they also talked about their native advertising platform where, well, if you were a publisher, you could devote certain parts of your space to have content programmatically appear in there. But the major, the sort of very, very big part of the bell curve of that, people who would be interested in that, don't want other brands' native advertising. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not trying to yeah. drive that whole point. So I think what they're discovering is that the publishing and media business is hard, and it's hard to do in an automated and scalable way like you can with a Twitter or you can with something like that because it's so. The, the content model is so formulaic and, and, and locked in. It's just well, a very difficult thing to do. They, they could scale it right now as it is, but with uh, traditional digital advertising placements and video rollover sure, and all that stuff, and they don't want to do it. Goes against, right, he doesn't want to do it. To his, right, to his point, that goes against their mission. But the thing is, is mission. he's not going to be for any advertising. He, of he should, not. They just, they just finally, and maybe this is what the, this mea culpa is that he's writing is that he's finally against it. He's not yeah, coming I, back. There is no well, ad model but, that's going to work for him. You know, that's you know, right. I mean, that's a little like me saying, "Wow, I really hate this consulting business." But it would be great if it weren't for all those pesky clients <laughs> that I have to deal with, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, the publishing business would be really neat if there weren't that whole making money from the content kind of part. That would be wonderful. It would be a really, really nice unicorn rainbow filled land that we live in. But it, that is the world that we live in, and you got to figure out how you're going to monetize the content and. You know, I really like this subscript, this sort of infrastructural subscription model that they put up and sort of said, look, if you're looking for a better way to create a platform for you or your business or whatever it is, so here's something that can compete with WordPress.com in an effective way because it can leverage more like a social engine. The idea of floating stuff up and all that kind of stuff, yeah. which is, quite frankly, WordPress.com is not very good at, right? So there's an interesting idea there in the whole social rising up to the top and competing and gamification of content and getting more eyeballs based on that idea. But uh, and, and maybe that's where they're going. Well, I think that's the op- – the, the op- whenever I think about Medium, I think of the opportunity where an enter- enterprise will say, uh, here's what we're doing on Twitter. Here's what we're doing on Facebook. And here's what we're doing on Medium. You know, they can be part of that conversation. Like, what you know, what do you, what do you, what are the stories you're telling? What what's your strategy regarding how you're going to communicate on Medium? You, I think they could do that. That's there for them to take. I don't know if they want to go that direction. That's where I thought that their latest, uh, you know, the the WordPress competition was the clearest that I could see a path to profitability. Yep, I think that's. I mean, to me, but that's not a. That's not maybe maybe that that's not what Ed wants because maybe he doesn't care about profitability. 
Well, and and it's not a it, it it's also not a bajillion dollar business yeah, yes, either. Exactly. Right? You know what I mean? It's a it's a very focused business around those who want to get into that business, which is a It's not going to be Facebook. Yeah. He's, exactly. It's not going to be Facebook. There's nothing That's you right. can do with that. So That's And right. and how is Facebook scaled? They've scaled through advertising and they've they had a lot of people on platform, right? They've they, had a lot of people. Right. See, that's the, that's the difference. If Facebook had this mission, it would never be successful. Cuz Facebook has to they have to basically say, "Hey, user experience is not going to be as good because we got to roll out this advertising." Exactly. And they keep tweaking it over and they're, "Oh, another update and I'm seeing more ads." And here we yeah. go. We're trying to make them more relevant, but, you know, it is what it is. Ev's not going to do that. It doesn't seem. So, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are, face well, to face. And, yeah, okay, <laughs> exactly. We, and, and well, and we predicted it, right? And you know, and so thus, thusly, as it were, thusly and begat. <laughs> well, what's what, listen, what's interesting? Listen to PNR for the future. What because. I love what you say. It's like, oh, we're eliminating fifty jobs, mostly in sales and support. Well, that's right. the exact. That's the exact place right. we want to cut. We want to cut all yes. the revenue generation. <laughs> well, I'm assuming they're cutting all the ad sales people, but uh, oh you know, yeah, that's what it uh, that's what it seems like. But I call that downsizing, as it uh, were. I I hope they. I mean, I think there's a place here, and I think that I really like the, medium, and I want yeah. them to do well. And and but you know, the, I know it's I know it's mostly a PR thing, but it's just like yeah, you know, it's it's not. Yeah. Anyway, I'll get off on a rant, but it's, yeah. but it's, but I'm, I hope, I wish them well. I hope, I hope this goes well for them and I hope their pivot goes well. Yeah. Well, that, oh, that's yeah. good. You got to write into the theme. That's I, fantastic. Uh, you know, I, wow. I work that way. That's, I, you know, that's, you know, <laughs> never cease to amaze me, Mr. Yeah. Rose. Well, All right. That's what, what that's else we got here? It works here. All right. Story number two here. Um, speaking of predictions, um, I went, you know, when you, well, we did predictions and I got asked and you get asked to do predictions all the time. My big prediction this year was that an advertising agency would come in and buy a publisher, um, a media company. And sure enough, we're nine days into the new year and here we go. Big hat tip here, by the way, to Adam Hellwes, Secret Sushi on Twitter. He's an awesome guy. So hi, Adam. Um, this story comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, for those of you who know him by the, I guess, first initial last name thing, um, acquires women's publisher Pure Wow. Story opens up by saying, over the past few years, media companies ranging from BuzzFeed to Vice to the New York Times have expanded their in-house units to act like advertising agencies and work with big marketers. Increasingly, says the story, agencies are counteracting and creating editorial properties on their own, reaching new audiences across social media platforms. Now, one well-known agency entrepreneur, Gary Vaynerchuk, is outright acquiring a publisher, Pure Wow, a lifestyle digital media company focused on upper millennial and Gen X women. And boy, do I hate that target. But all right. Well, that's I won't rant on that. Anyway, upper, in terms what, of the, what is upper millennial? I don't even know what is that lower in the upper what, age that, that range that, of the right, millennial bracket. I, I guess I, it assumes, I guess, that there's a lower millennial and a mid millennial. And do they live uptown. And, and, 
Yeah, I, anyway, I don't know anything. Yeah. Anyway, terms <laughs> of the deal were not disclosed. As part of the deal, Mr. Vaynerchuk is creating a new company called The Gallery, which will house Pure Wow and seek to build out or acquire other media properties to target readers in different demographic groups. Pure Wow Chief Executive Ryan Harwood will become CEO of The Gallery, which will act as a sister company to Vayner Media, say, says Mr. Vaynerchuk. So... Yeah, this, I mean, here it, here it is. My take on this is that this is, we've seen this um, and we've seen this coming and it doesn't surprise me that no. VaynerMedia is out in front here, but the big, you know, I think we're going to see more of it. This is a small acquisition. I think we're going to see some bigger ones coming well, down the I road. Well, I think it's, I think it's a wake up call. I mean, here we are four days into the new year. We've been talking about this and of course we've been seeing the, the brands go this direction where they're going, we're buying, you know, publishing properties and, and you and I talked about, okay, well, agencies are going to get into the mix because they're competing with publishing operations that are launching their content studios. And if you are a, if you are a publishing studio, uh, as far as a traditional publisher and you have the audience and you have the creative content ability, it's very hard for an agency to, to compete with that. So here's uh, Gary V going to town and saying, hey, you know what? We we have the audience and we're going to, to create. You know, if that, I really didn't know this is one of his targets, but hey, it sounds like it is now. And, oh, you know, yeah. going his, after I mean, Going after this group of folks, yeah. Yeah, young people love him. I mean, they absolutely adore him. The whole hustle sort of move and that whole groove with with that sort of target audience, they love him. So I think this is a I think this is absolutely in his sweet spot. I think it's a it's a I think it's a brilliant move for him. Um, and it strikes me as look, Vayner Media is gonna become an integrated platform. Right, it is just going to become. You know, there he's building T Brand Studios, but he's building the media part last instead of first. You know, it's 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 a really fascinating. Strategy. Which, by the way, I think is the easier way to do it. But hey, you know, I mean, because if you're an agency out there uh, and you've got recurring cash flows, there there are so many of these properties available for sale. It's not even funny. I mean, depending on, and but the the issue is, and I don't know if you've seen this. I mean, you and I have worked with a number of agencies, traditional and content marketing agencies. The problem they always have is picking a focus. It's like when you yes. say you talk to a content marketing agency and you say, um, you know, do you have the expertise to do this project? And then insert, is it healthcare? Is it financial? Is it automotive? They'll always say yes. Oh yeah, we could do that. Absolutely, we've got the expertise. <laughs> right. Well, you know, that's not true. Right, they don't all have the expertise. They they don't want to confine themselves to one area because they feel they're losing out. Well, to make this work, what Gary's V is doing, you have to choose. Just like in content marketing, you have to choose. You have to choose the audience you want to target, or it's not going to work. It's very hard to have relevant content to everybody. So this, I love this move. I think it's great. I think it's. I didn't expect it so early in the year. And what this tells me is we're going to see the M and A environment just go crazy. That's this right. Year. It's going to yep. be off the hook. Just get ready. It's, Every episode, I'm sure we're going to have something like this to talk about. Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. Well, then let's move along then to our next story here. And this one is a really interesting one. Speaking of sort of moving along our theme here. Um, the headline here comes, and the article comes courtesy of adweek.com, and uh, also big hat tip here to Carmen Hill, a friend and family of the show, of course. Hi, Carmen. Um, and the headline is AOL, because you know AOL is out there leading the way in everything. <laughs> AOL hopes oh, these two on. new ad formats <laughs> will thwart 
ad blocking. Uh, the fact that they got the word thwart into a headline is pretty cool. Thwart. I'm just going to say thwart. 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 I'm going to say thwart. Um, the article opens <laughs> up by saying AOL wants marketers to help build its next ad formats. At CES, the consumer electronics show that was this week in Vegas, which we didn't really talk about, but we could chat about, um, the Verizon-owned company, AOL that is, is launching a new initiative called Brand Builder that includes new types of ads. By working directly with marketers to conceptualize ad formats and creative, AOL hopes to create custom and native ads that encourage consumers to not use an ad blocker. One of the new ad units, for example, doles out free Verizon data in exchange for clicking on a mobile ad to download a coupon. As the quote um, from the AOL person says, VP of Advertising Product uh, said, less intrusive ad experiences like player up and data perks will give viewers the experience they desire and we anticipate seeing higher engagement numbers as a result. Uh, what was your take on that? Because I have one that's uh, close to a rant, but it's not uh, not quite a rant. I don't know how to say this nicely. This is yeah. stupid. This yeah, is stupid. This is the dumbest idea. This is the dumbest idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we didn't even yeah. talk before this. Yeah, we just what? This is a race to the bottom. As far this as is, this is, I can't even we imagine. we I can't, have we have this did innovative we learn new- nothing. Did <laughs> we learn nothing from the dot com boom when they used to remember? Remember back in ni- uh, nineteen ninety nine two thousand when they were give, there was a computer company that was giving away computers, but the only thing was is that you couldn't turn off ad. Like you, they'll give you a computer and internet access, but you had to look at all these ads and click. I on know, it. but get get this: in order to get more data, I have to use my data. On this player up, data perks, whatever it is. So I have to engage in more uh, ads. I'm using my data. But then I get more data. It's probably a zero-sum game. You're probably right. actually well, just getting back what you just used. If I'm- Yeah, and, 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 and setting up a, a system where the more you click on ads, the more data you accumulate. Nothing can go wrong with that. I mean, there's absolutely, you know, nobody's going to try and game that system Oh, man, at can all. You, the click bots are on the way. Oh They're already... Anonymous is already there trying to trying to make that thing go away as fast. Yeah. I, I don't. I I watched. Did you watch the video associated with it? I did not watch. I the watched video. the video. It's eBay fashion video. It's a big. It's a big full page. Uh, it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful, and you can't click off of it, and and somebody's gonna hurt themselves trying to scream <laughs> at, at the ad. <laughs> <laughs> but but the good thing is they they're getting more data uh, from it. So I I don't. Yeah, this is called this is NAB advertising. It's it's not as bad. So they're, they're, that's, that's how they're going to position it. They're they're going they're going to sell this out. They say, hey, this is this is not as bad of an experience. So it's it's going to sell like crazy. That's how I can t- can you just see the sales reps going in? Oh, you got to buy this spot. It's not as bad. No, you know what? There's going to be a slide. There's a slide. I guarantee you there's a slide in the deck that shows what the uplift is on the click-through rates when when they do. You know, In other words, a normal ad gets one-tenth of one percent of a click-through rate. Our ads that give away free data, that ad click-through rate goes up to 10% or 15%. It's a thousand percent increase. And it's like, really? Re- really? I mean, really? This is it's like our... Anybody who falls for this is just – anyway, I, I don't want to go too far out on a sort of 
calling people. We've been wrong this, before. I mean, well, we, you know, we, we, we we're not wrong. wrong on this. One. This, this could one, be this, the, this, this. This no. This, this could. One, this we've could, been wrong before, but this one is not the one we're going to. This be could wrong be on. the thing that that vaults AOL back <laughs> to the leadership position. Ever since this, ever yeah. since the the the, the home uh, the home C- CD that yeah, they used to send. Exactly. That I had seventy-two of them. You've got mail. This this could be what takes them right back to the top. You. They should go ads. back and do that. Actually, they should go back yeah. and send more CDs. Just this episode sponsored by America Online. <laughs> and nothing against our good friends at AOL. But yes, of course. But come on, come yeah. on, man, come on, man. Do a Chris Carter. Come on, yeah. man. all right all right so let's move along to our last story of the show here which is a fun one this one's really fun it comes to us courtesy of neimanlab.org um and this one was really quite inspiring actually i mean you talk about pivoting and changing and and altering strategies headline here is buzzfeed's tasty cookbook sold enough copies this year to make it one of the best-selling cookbooks of the year Uh, The article opens up by saying, Tasty, the cookbook from BuzzFeed's wildly popular cooking vertical, uh, is not only sold in bookstores, and it's not, excuse me, is not only not sold in bookstores, but it's not sold on Amazon. You can buy it in only one place, this website, and where people are doing exactly that. Bloomberg reports that the customizable cookbook, you choose which categories you want in it, and it's printed on demand, has sold more than 100,000 copies since it launched in November. That number is enough to make it actually one of the best-selling cookbooks of 2016. Oh, only because it's sold through BuzzFeed's website. You won't find it on any bestseller list. Nielsen Bookscan's list of best-selling cookbooks for 2015, the 2016 list isn't available yet, um, is uh, showing that, uh, that, w- that it would be like the number one cookbook there. So the article goes on to describe the cookbook and how it's custom uh, created. I thought this was brilliant. I thought this... I, I Talk about vertically integrated and all the things that you've talked about for years media companies getting into the product business boy is this that in spades this is this is truly diversification of revenue models you know what i love about this too it it, it's actually a very simple model it just sends them back to one call to action spot and buy it here there's you, you don't buy it on facebook there's no twitter integration there's nothing like that it's just here it is it's it's you can you can select all the recipes that you love the best. Go ahead and make that happen. And two point four. So they're estimating two point four to four million dollars off of the sales of this thing. Do you believe that? I mean, it's just it's it's wonderful, really. When you think about it, it's just wonderful that they've been able to take something that they've already gotten value out of theoretically, content that they've put out on this site in their category, gotten the quote unquote advertising value out of it, look at it, which ones are the better performing ones, set up a system that lets you aggregate the categories and create a custom cookbook, set up a print on demand version of that and actually productize something that you can buy and get. It's just a it's it to your point, it's so simple. You know that it just works. It's just it's just good thinking. Well, it's I think that a, yeah. the the thing that's interesting, and of course, you and I have been, are going to be covering a lot of this in our you know the book coming out. But I think that the fact that now this clear sailing, where we know advertising is not going to make the, this not going to make the business model run. You can still generate revenues from advertising, but it's not going to work for publishers. So now they're really opening up and say we, we're going to have to sell products. 
So what kind of products can we launch that make the most sense? I mean, I think that, I don't know if you've seen it, but I, I can't tell you how many tasty videos that I've seen. Uh, and they've, they're done really, really well. And they're integrated into Facebook and they get, you know, millions of people per month looking at that stuff. And they sold, you know, $4 million, let's just say, in a very short period of time. It would have taken a lot of time, effort, sales support to sell $4 million in ads from the same type of program. And probably oh, impossible sure. to Absolutely. do. And it would have ruined the customer experience. And in this case, you had a great content experience. And it added to that. And they show in the article of people just going crazy over how wonderful this product is. And, the, of course, it's a content product as well. It's just a content. It's a, it's a, we used to call this, as we mentioned in the, a couple episodes ago, ancillary media. This is this is this is <laughs> right. media or ancillary revenues, the revenues that nobody cares about. We call them ancillary. Uh, now these are primary, uh, where they're looking. So you're seeing this dip in advertising and this growth in product revenue, and you're going to see more and more of that. And BuzzFeed is you know leading the way with with this program. I actually didn't know until I read this. Maybe you knew. I didn't know that BuzzFeed owned Tasty. Did you know that? I, I did not know that. No, until I read this, I did not know that. Yeah, I did not know that. I mean, some of these categories are so perfect. Like you can get a whole set of recipes for hangovers. Yeah, it's just great. <laughs> I mean, it's just on. great. I mean, how cool is that? You can give that as a gift. It's just a, it's just a, it's just an awesome thing. And here's the thing. I mean, just to your point, when you look at that and you go, here's they created this content, and let's say the advertising does nothing other than to cover the costs of the production of the video, right? And maybe not even quite does that, right? Maybe it's. of the cost to create these wonderful videos, the advertising supports that. Well, then the actual advertising becomes a marketing expense or a cost of product expense. And then the cookbook actually becomes the product that makes the margin that they need to make. And that's, I mean, you start looking at it like that, where drawing multiple lines of value from the, the media that you're creating not only helps you create the media, but it also then provides the opportunity for you to increase the margins on the other things that you're doing. So in other words, it just feeds on itself because they can use this to now feed something else and feed yep. something else and feed something else. And it's just, you talk about a company that once you start getting vertically integrated can grow and can really start to expand. You know, this becomes a, a total growth strategy for BuzzFeed to, 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 to build his business on. Well, that's where we, as we were doing some of the research for, you know, all these new, you know, basically the idea is, can we generate direct revenue from the content as well as market? Because basically if you're, if you're on the brand side, you're thinking, Hey, this could be a marketing initiative for us to sell products and services. But in this case, you're generating, it's, it's of course marketing for something for a lot of things that they're doing on the Buzzfeed side, but really we're generating direct revenues from that. And as we go, you and I go into more and more companies that are struggling to get budget, we're, we're trying to convince them in a lot of cases to just say, well, let's just create our own budget. Let's just generate our own revenues off of these programs. You could, st- it's still marketing. It's still helping us. It's still helping get subscribers. It's still helping them move down the buyer's journey, if you will. But we can also generate direct revenue. I just talked to, this was on Thursday of last week, and I was talking to somebody that, that they have their own event. They have their own content uh, platform, and they, they got approached by somebody to possibly sell it. To, 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 it's their marketing, and somebody actually wanted to buy their marketing. 
I mean, if that's not, we're starting to see some strange things happen. And I think that if we go into it with our eyes open to a business model that can say, yes, here's what we want to do. Here's the goal. But here's some other options that we need to look at that we've totally been ignoring before. I think that might be an opportunity. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. There you Ooh, go. I like that. I need a t-shirt that says that. Yeah, well, it's it's Friday Night Lights, but yeah. Keep <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm sure there's a that. t-shirt. I yeah, never sure watched. I've never watched Friday Night Lights. Oh my god, dude! That, it's, I, it's 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 such issues. a fantastic show. You will you will get tweets telling you to watch that show. Okay. It is an amazing series because I've been yeah, watching. You don't mess with the Zohan so many times. It's hard to find time. I'm just gonna let that sit that, right there. I just that and Major that. League. You know, it's just there's just there's only so much time of the day, dude. So. If you like Major League, you will love Friday Night Lights. It's right. dramatic. It's not funny like like Major League. You're talking is, about the movie, not the television. I'm series. talking about either. Actually, the movie is great, but the TV series is what I'm actually talking about with the oh. full eyes clear or clear eyes full heart can't lose isn't it's, there there's like a hundred episodes of that like there are it's like uh I can't five seasons i think five seasons it's 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 uh yeah it's a good binge it's right. a great it's I a need, great send series. me the cliff's notes version that's that's the one i want no i'm not i'm not I'm <laughs> no not i will any, not do that i'm not setting any no hey speaking of clear eyes full heart can't lose we have our favorite sponsor to talk about uh and again for this month it's your and my truly wonderful favorite person. Because it's it's us. I That's mean, right. Basically, it's what it is. <laughs> we're I mean, narcissistic we're just, that exactly, way. Exactly. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about uh, if you haven't already signed up, we've got issues, folks. We've got Intelligent Content Conference coming up March 28th through the 30th, 2017 in beautiful Las Vegas at the M Resort. I love the M Resort. And you know, you know, I love Vegas. You know, I mean, Vegas I do. is yeah. one of my favorite cities on the planet. But I don't like Vegas for events, especially on the Strip, because when attendees go, sometimes they, you know, they get on the Strip, they never come back to the event. I That's like right. it at the M Resort. The M Resort is about 10 minutes off Strip. It's beautiful. And you can go. We can have the community and the conference, Intelligent Content Conference there. And then when you're all done and you're ready to go party, you can go down to the Strip and there's a free shuttle. So there you go. Use PNR100. PNR100 <laughs> is your $100 coupon code to sign up at Intelligent Content Conference right now. And I believe that early bird prices end on January 14th. Early bird prices end. You can sign up after that, but if you want the absolute best price plus the $100 coupon code PNR100, make sure you go ahead and sign up there. Uh, we're tracking well ahead of last year, Robert. I'm so excited. Uh, we're going to see a lot more people at Intelligent Content Conference this year. Great lineup. So if you get a chance, check out the agenda. Um, just you, you did a great job. Robert on that agenda. I helped a little oh, bit, but you did that's wonderful. Not even a little bit true. <laughs> you did great. You are awesome. Uh, kind of reminder do you have it pinned to your refrigerator? Because if you don't have my little agenda pinned to you, you did awesome. We're putting this up on great. the refrigerator. You were awesome. Uh, another reminder Content Marketing World, September 5th through 8th, 2017, in Cleveland, Ohio. 4,000 marketers from over 70 countries coming to Cleveland, Ohio this year for the big show. Make sure you don't miss it. Uh, actually, we're working on the agenda right now. Super. Oh, man, it's going to be great. So I'm not going to go into all the detail there, but make sure you put it on your calendars. Registration is open at contentmarketingworld.com. You could check that out. And then we've got our free virtual event, Content Tech, that you can go to contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events. It is a free one-day virtual event all about content marketing technology. 
It's fantastic. I believe you're speaking there, Robert, and a lot of other wonderful influencers, thought leaders, and brand representatives. That's February 22nd, 2017, February 22nd. So put it on your calendar. You can sign up for free there. And uh, we have other events, but those are the three events I wanted to talk about today because we don't want to overdo anything. I think things are good in threes. We've ended. We did our three, and we're done. So there you go. That's awesome. I, I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to intelligent content. Not because, well, you know, as we've said on the show before, this was the, you know, when we were putting together the agenda, we were like, let's put together the agenda and speakers of people that the event that we would want to go to, right? The one that we would find really a, a, a great amount of learning in and just a, uh, you know, looking at the future, but not getting too far out and really talking about stuff that we can actually do in, in our business. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And I hate Vegas. So it's going to be an awesome. <laughs> it's gonna be an I awesome. love it. That's why we're perfect there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. The, so. Well, I mean, it, what's interesting is, is that especially because we have this uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning yes, uh, workshop exactly. that we put together as well and lots of other great workshops. But the one thing we're finding, there's this, you know, all this talk about AI and machine learning well you can't do that without structure in your content you have no, to have the metadata exactly right. you have to set it up just a certain way and that's what we did with all the the uh, the sessions there so like if you're a beginner for content marketing don't come to this event but that's if right. you are you want to take your content marketing strategy or your content strategy to the next level icc is the place to be and uh, you're just going to absolutely love it and you know bring a couple people from and you can bring some people from your marketing department as well as your technical writing side as well and you guys can work sure. together absolutely yeah. And even technology, right? And technology, so yeah. The people who are making this stuff happen, the people who are implementing your CMS or figuring out your taxonomy, your governance system, it's those are the people that should be here. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be all awesome. right, ladies and gentlemen. It is now time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like pivoting or something that makes us feel like just traveling down the court and walking off the court with our ball in our hands and taking our ball and going home. Um, and so I have the first uh, of the rants and raves because I have this old marketing this week. All right. And so I have. Um, I guess it would be two raves, really, um, but we'll see the second one. We'll see if it becomes more of a commentary, as I am wont to do on occasion. The first one, and, you know, it, it's I, I, speaking of Tom Brady and being big babies, <laughs> this one <laughs> pains me a little bit. The link that we'll have in the show notes goes to NESN, which is the New England Sports Network, I believe. Um, and the story associated with it is Tom Brady's magic pajamas also come with a hilariously weird children's book. This is just a wonderful example of content marketing. It's just a great piece. Um, the the piece opens up by saying Tom Brady's one of the best quarterbacks ever. <coughs> oh, wow, I can't believe I said that without throwing up. Um, but don't sleep on uh, Tom Brady, the businessman. He's got a deal um, with Under Armour. Um, and Under Armour has a whole new line of what they're calling ridiculously expensive sleepwear, pajamas, basically. And so the what they did was they released this new uh, product, these new fancy PJs, um, and they've simultaneously released a bunch of books, children's books, to go along with it. 
because it's coming it uh, comes along with the the pajamas comes along with a customer experience which is a mobile app so you not only get the pajamas but you can get this mobile app this content driven experience that goes with it and then what they've done is they've layered over this this content children's storybook to sort of promote both of them to promote the existence of the uh, of the pajamas but more importantly to sort of draw it to better sleep how do you sleep better and so the mobile app helps you sleep better um, over time, basically, you know, and providing you with tips and education and wonderful sort of valuable information about how you can get a better night's sleep. And they're calling it the sleep recovery system. And it's just a, and so the children's book, if you go look at it, which is a very, uh, they hired uh, Funny or Die to actually create the content. So they had a writer from Funny or Die who wrote it. It's very funny. It's cute. Um, it's basically Tom Brady um, having a, a football game with the tortoise and the hare. And so it's a children's book that you would normally read to your kid as they're going to sleep. And of course, it's the wonderful fable of Tom Brady playing football with the tortoise and the hare and how he ultimately kicks their ass and there you go and 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 they and they lose and and he gets a better night's sleep because of it. And the whole moral of the story is that Tom Brady gets a great night's sleep by using uh, wonderful, you know, sleep tips like don't go to bed tired or, or excuse me, don't go to bed, you know, and, and turn a, a toss and with your caffeine and all that stuff. And he gets a better night's sleep. And for that, he's well rested and can thus beat everybody in football. And so it's just a great story that is has nothing to do with pajamas and it has really nothing to do with Under Armour at all but it has everything to do with talking about how to get great night's sleep and understand that all in support of this new idea of helping you get a better night's sleep and then oh by the way if you want to understand how you might do that well we have the fancy PJs and the oh, biometric nice. app to be able to do that it's really cool that is just cool. a well done well done integrated uh, piece of content there yeah. He is, by the way, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I know you don't want to admit it, but... I know. I know. I mean, I know. I don't have to admit it, though. (laughs) Anyway, we'll move along here. Okay. Okay, so the second part is... I guess it's a rave. Um, um, I'm going to rave on the article a bit, I guess, or just have some commentary. Anyway, the article comes from the New York Times, and it's, I think... I want to write something on this because I think this is just fascinating. The article in the New York Times is how to destroy the business model of Breitbart and fake news. And it opens up by talking. It tells the story of this environmental science professor. And what he did was he went to Breitbart and, you know, of course, he's into environmental science. And, of course, Breitbart is famously or infamously um, sort of, you know, talking through the hoax of environmental change. And he was actually shocked. This scientist was actually shocked to see that Duke University School for the Environment was advertising there on Breitbart and in the articles that he was reading, which seemed to him to be like highly, obviously offensive, but more to the point, like what would you, why? Why would you ever advertise there? Well, of course, they don't know. And he went and contacted Duke University and they had no idea. It's all through the programmatic advertising that's happening automatically through Google and other programmatic platforms that are appearing on these fake sites and, and other sites such as Breitbart that are, that are out there. So the fascinating thing was he actually then in the article goes on to tell the story about how he created a Twitter account to actually start letting brands know 
um, about this, right? So where you can let brands know that their ads are appearing on fake news sites, et cetera. The broader implication of this, which is really interesting, which is can brands, can companies now actually become the ones responsible for disrupting the business model of the fake news world? And what it would mean, the implications of that, of course, is it means that we as marketers have to take more responsibility about where our programmatic ads are appearing. We can't just sort of one of the things that we talked about last week when we talked about the ad fraud thing, which uh, if you remember from last week, we talked about how brands were going to have to at some point realize the tax or the sort of in, inherent overage costs that we were paying to sort of account, yeah, it's this much money, but it's you know a small percentage, and I don't feel like putting in the extra expense to manage that extra cost because it's too much work to sort of go through and pick which sites I want my stuff to appear on or which sites I don't want my stuff to appear on was really hard. And so, but this is a really interesting thing because it's, there are sort of three points I'll make. One is, Companies, we, marketers, might have to be the ones to take responsibility for demonetizing the entire idea of fake news. That's in our best interest, to make make sure that fake news sites aren't monetized through accidental advertising. And that's a really interesting thing in and of itself. The other thing is, is that we've talked for so many years in content marketing and content more generally that democratization of publishing and our ability to actually aggregate our own audiences and the whole thing is a really good thing. But there's this weird irony here where the complete democratization of content actually may not be in our best interest. In other words, we are contributing through the idea of programmatic advertising and 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 all these kinds of things where we're basically throwing out ads on anybody who wants to put them on anything. We're actually contributing to the fragmentation of audiences. And in, in a weird way, it's actually in our best interest to actually see audiences aggregate in other places. In other words, it's much more valuable if we know our audience is in the New York Times um, or on this other site or some other site because then we can find them. And finding them is one of the major costs that we have, of course, when we're trying to do something in marketing and advertising. And the third point I'll make is that it is yet again, if you were wondering if there was even one more reason, business case, for brands to become media operators, even if it's only to centralize where that sort of, if you cut that, you know, sort of fluff money, you know, hush money, VIG, whatever you want to call it, off the top of ad fraud and this programmatic waste, if you want to just take that off the top and feed your ability to build your own audience it's a much more effective use of your money. So if your ad budget is a big one and in programmatic is a big piece and you can calculate how much of your stuff is going to ad fraud and or the fueling of fake news sites, well, maybe you'd be better spent better spending that money, that percentage of money on building your own audience because over time that's going to be a better investment. It's like literally taking the pocket change out of your coat every day and putting it into a piggy bank and at some point you've got $1,000 in that piggy bank. And that, I think, is a really interesting thing. And I, I absolutely believe if we feel strongly about journalism, about fake news, and about the, the consistency of audiences and the platforms where we're getting the truth, marketers, advertisers, we play a bigger role in that than we might have thought. I think that is a, that's a big idea. That, that is fascinating to think 
that those brands that are involved in programmatic advertising are in some way, in a major way, responsible yeah. responsible for, for fake, fake news. news. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, um, it's a. I would it's love a, to see that. That I would love to see people take that seriously. I think. Yeah. I think you're going to have to because fault. you're right. Yeah. If you if it dries up, if that revenue source dries up, it'll so probably stop. Fake news sites. Yeah. yeah. So they'll do something else. Except for the except for the Russian hackers, the Russian hackers will will make their money in other ways. As we You're right. It's been like four weeks we've been talking about Russian hackers, <laughs> and you had to throw in Russian hackers. <laughs> Absolutely, it's not a show that you know. Last year was all native advertising. This year is going to be Russian all Russian hackers. hackers. But our apologies to the Russian hackers that listen to this show, because we love <laughs> That's you. Exactly. We love you. Not the other you, Russian hackers, you, just no, the ones that listen just to this the show. Ones that listen to show. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Exactly. Do you have another rant or ravers? No, no, it? I'm done. Oh. I'm finished, yes. That was fantastic. I especially love the part about Tom Brady. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have, uh, you know, before I, I have a little observation, which is sort of a rave, uh, but I just wanted to make a point. I saw on, I didn't go to CES. I know you didn't go to CES either, but there's a lot of people that we know that are at. Uh, CES in Vegas this week, and Jer- a friend of ours, Jeremiah Aoyang, uh, it was posting on Facebook saying that the war uh, for uh, uh, vi- uh, visual or not visual uh, uh, speech, uh, speech search, and speech. I can't because <laughs> they're like, just like each other. What is really? yeah, <laughs> visual speech? It's all the same, right? You can see, you can hear. It's all the same. For for speech, and, what are you talking about? And yeah, speech and search and the home is being won by Alexa. Uh, he was saying oh, that when you go everywhere, Alexa was dominating, uh, and and integrations throughout all these technology and tools and the home and Siri and everything else were also rans. I just thought that was interesting that our listeners would want to know. Yeah, that uh, it seems to be Alexa has taken the lead. In, in that battle, especially for integration's sake. Um, I have both. I have both, and I will tell you that I like Alexa better. I have the Google Home, and I have Alexa, and I oh, like Alexa better. Well, there you go. Did you set it up where Alexa and Google can talk to each other, and they get into a conversation? I did not. Oh, that, that, not would be, that would be – when you do that, record it. Oh, okay. We'll play it on the show. Um, so a few, a few weeks ago, um, I saw – maybe you saw this too, Robert. I saw – Pictures and Facebook notes from a number of my friends regarding the Seth Godin new project called uh, What Does It Sound Like When You Change Your Mind? Have you heard about this? No, I have okay, not. Okay, so the, the book is oversized and over 800 pages long. Oh, I've seen that. It's the super book. I've, I've seen yeah. that part of it. Though, yeah. So from what I can find out, the f- book is sold very well. I think Seth was going to do one printing of it, and he's taking orders and all this stuff. But people had just started to get their book after he started this in June or July or something like this. And and as as I thought about this for a while, I remembered, and we covered this on the show, I remembered an article from Pointer, uh, and I'll put it in the show notes, about the Huffington Post doubling down on its long-form content initiative. You remember, you, we, we talked about that for a little bit. And I want sure. to take a couple pieces from that article just to remind our listeners here. It says, according to the article here, stories from Highline, the company's ambitious long-form journalism venture, are consistently among the site's best-read stories. The article goes on to say that Highline's success with long-form content uh, it fits uh, consumers willing to consume Longer content in the age of the smartphone, and then they cite a report from Pew that says uh, they're spending more time with it. Uh, It's longer, but they're spending more time. They're engaging more. They're doing more positive things with it. 
So that's interesting that long-form content on the Huffington Post is really starting to pay off for, for Huffington Post. And then I thought about another thing. This is video-related. So my friend and YouTuber, Matthew Patrick, uh, Matt Pat on YouTube, so he, he presented at Content Marketing World a few years ago, he produces the ongoing series called Game Theory, and, and Game Theory has over 5 million YouTube subscribers. Now, last year I asked him, and you know this because I talk about it in, in some of our uh, workshops, I asked him what the average video length should be for the best possible performance on YouTube. And now when I ask this of marketers, I usually get anywhere between 30-second video and a two-minute video. And they think that's the best. Now, Matt's answer is 12 minutes. A lot of people don't believe that. But he knows YouTube algorithm better than anyone. Now, let's fast forward to the present day. Now, yesterday, I received a requested book from the library that was recommended to me by a few friends. And the book is called, you, you might have heard of this one, Tools of Titans by, mm-hmm. by Tim Ferriss. Have you seen this? Yes, I okay. have seen that. I, well, I've only seen it. I've seen it most recently because it's like it's following me around the internet. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, definitely... it's being promoted quite yes, heavily, and, and quite uh, heavily. So I'll let you know. I mean, it's interesting because they're all. Oh, you short. got it. I have it. I have it right in front of me. It's oh, six hundred and seventy-one pages. This thing is it's it's unbelievably huge. Um, so I'm thinking about this. Now, how in this world of snackable content you know multiple smartphones that we all have no attention span like the goldfish like you like to say (laughs) (laughs) right right. are we seeing these longer form pillar collections of content really cutting through the clutter and and i guess the point i'm trying to make after seeing all these things and putting it together is all the marketers that you and i talk not all of them but most of the marketers we talk to they've run to shorter posts shorter social media updates shorter videos shorter podcasts you know, thinking that the audience doesn't have the desire to invest themselves in content for a longer period of time. But I think with these examples that we're starting to see, the answer is clear. They absolutely do if it's worthwhile. That's right. And, and those those marketers, I think, right now that take a longer form uh, approach can immediately position themselves and their stories as differentiated simply because of the length, simply because it looks different and feels different. So. You know, I think that when everyone is going small out there, maybe there's an opportunity to go big. So I just, you know, I I can't recommend uh, the Tools of Titans yet book. I will read it and let everyone know. But I just think that we're seeing more and more of these examples of long-form content um, when still the majority out there are still focusing on the term that I hate, snackable content. Um, (laughs) So I think there's an opportunity there. I just thought I'd share with you my my feelings on that, my friend. So there you go. That's awesome. I love that. Well, I'll tell you what. You send me the cliff notes of Tools of Titans, and then I'll send you the cliff notes of whatever it is I promised you earlier. In the oh, that's that. fantastic. I will, I, will take, I will take notes, maybe an Evernote. I don't know. We'll see. Very nice. There you go. All right. So how about a, this old marketing? Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. <clears throat> so now, Joe, if I were to ask you, you probably know the answer to this, but pretend like you don't. Okay. So, because it'll be funnier if you do. Um, what is the number one circulated magazine in the the United States? The like has the number one circulation, the number one magazine. Uh, the number one value coupon book. <laughs> it is not. That's a good. That is a good guess. Yeah. No, the number one magazine by circulation in the United States, and it has held this position since the late 1980s. 
23 million subscribers as of December 2015 is the magazine, the content magazine produced by the AARP. And Fascinating. this is, a, by the way, a huge hat tip here to uh, Lee Proceda, who actually sent this in via the email address, actually. So um, a wonderful example. This is a magazine that started in 1958 um, from the AARP. Um, and at that point, it was known as Modern Maturity, which it was covering basically retirees and, and issues and celebrities and lifestyle of all those kinds of things. And then they rebooted the entire program in 2002. And in 2002, it was it was still the number one magazine, but not by very much. It was you know it was it was a close it was a close race with magazines like People and Time and and those sorts of things. But then has spent literally the last call it 15 years growing just like a weed, and it is now the number one magazine, not by a little bit, by the way. <clears throat> The number one is AARP, the magazine, which has 23 million subscribers. Number two is the AARP Bulletin, which has 22 million subscribers. And then we get to what you would think of as the sort of uh, coupon book, the Costco Connection. That has 8 million. Um, and then we get into magazines like Better Homes and Garden and, and those kinds of things. So the top um, three are from brands. Well, yes. So here's, here's the funny thing is, the t- of the top 10... Four of them, is, if I'm looking at this list, is right, are content marketing uh, uh, publications. That's just fascinating in and of itself. So you look at the AARP, Costco, Game Informer, which is from GameStop, has six million subscribers. AAA Living, which is from is a custom uh, publication. Association. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then you get down into seven before you get into Good Housekeeping and Family Circle and People, Woman's Day, National Geographic, wow. and so on and so forth. So if you don't think content marketing can work from a print magazine standpoint, well, there you, there you have it. Anyway, so da- double uh, AARP, which I'm sad to say I'm getting now regularly <laughs> in my mailbox. Um, <clears throat> it's got insights into the hot topics and newsworthy issues, basically – as it says, every senior can relate to, which just makes me feel sad, actually, as I get it. But they've got profiles. They've got all this wonderful stuff. They sell advertising, so it's a money-making opportunity for them as well. And, of course, it does what its main um, goal is to do, is drive membership and drive loyalty to the membership. It is a valuable piece of what the association does as recognizing what its real commodity is, is, is as a media company. Now, I should also note that the magazine itself also has a digital format. It is, has a prominent place on the AARP um, uh, website. They've got a digital version of it. They've got uh, all sorts of content going in through there. But the AARP magazine, as the number one circulated magazine in the world, just a wonderful example of a magazine that's been published since 1958 up until uh, today and has rebooted along the way as lifestyles have changed and demographics have changed to become a media product of the AARP and, and really just a wonderful example of this old marketing. That's a good one. Yeah. Now, we, there, you mentioned a couple other ones on that list that we, we can do now too. So Yeah, no, there's a yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, no, the list has been so saved. line them up. Me. Oh, yeah, we got this old up. marketing example set for the next six <laughs> exactly. months, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So where are you this week? What are you doing? Uh, I'm actually in the office this week. We've got a, oh, good a, for you. We've got a couple uh, basketball games and concerts and things like that. Uh, you know, working. I'm really, I'm, I'm really focused on the agenda. 
before we get down and dirty into uh, into our book that we're working on. But yeah, so it's 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 in the office this week, <clears> thankfully, before later in January when I head on the road. So are you in the nice. office this week? I am in the office this week. I'm working on the book and I'm working on a couple of deliverables and, and all that stuff and getting ready for a trip next week. Actually, I'll be on the road next week. Um, <clears throat> just got back from a trip. I was at this uh, speaking, public speaking workshop that I um, told you about last week, which was just amazing. By the way, if you're at all interested in becoming a public speaker, check out Heroic Public Speaking, um, an event, and I've, I don't have it in front of me now, but it's later in the year. Um, just an amazing event. Um, I was actually at a, a, another event that the same hosts of that event uh, do. It was called the A-Lister event, um, which is not open to the public, um, but this one is, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful event if you're interested in getting in and learning the finer points of public speaking. But I'm yeah, I'm home this week, and and uh, getting ready to be on the road in the latter part of January and just working on our stuff. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, for the broken pipe in Joe's house and for Joe and for Robert, we are signing off. Um, if you like this episode, number 165, folks, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on either iTunes or Stitcher.com. And if you leave us a review or if you subscribe, let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up on Twitter, This Old Marketing. We'd love to thank you personally for that. Um, we appreciate you so much spending the hour with us every single week. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Again, hashtag is up at This Old Marketing on the Twitter. Or you can send an email, if you like, at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, available in the show as we publish tonight, that's Monday, and then in the show post as we publish on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.